Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 2, Episode 21. We are back with the next installment of our First Law read-along, and uh, today we're going to be discussing Red Country by Joe Abercrombie, as well as the related short story collection, Sharp Ends. And joining us today is special guest YouTuber Ben Coleman from Overly Average Ben. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So as usual, we will talk non-spoilers before we get into spoilers we'll alert everybody when we're gonna going to get into a spoiler section because we're talking about two different things i don't know how we want to structure this conversation i would personally say like red country do the full non-spoiler to medium spoiler to spoilers and then once we're in spoilers then like sharp ends is pretty mm. much like all spoilers anyway like how are you going to talk For about red short country without without spoilers? right yeah fair enough okay well let's do red country thoughts <laughs> this is both of your guys's first time reading it right yes yeah this is my first time yeah um and I, I was time. shocked by how much i actually enjoyed it um because i am not a big fan of westerns i think Same. being a british person as well like you just kind of uh you see westerns you're like ah it's just kind of i don't know they feel kind of lame <laughs> as a it's like as, as a as an american i often like encountered the opposite we're like uh british people that you know i'm paying attention to for some reason like comedians or authors or something like that they'll sometimes express the opposite like oh you know like a romantic fascination with it because they're not american and i as yeah. an american am like ugh, westerns and they're like well it's like this like american thing that like we don't have over here and i'm just like well it's not that great so <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like when people talk about like the great american novel i'm like really like does does anyone care like it's, it's i mean some those... people do yeah. <laughs> yeah some people do but like in my head i'm like they're just books like it yeah. would be like having like the great british novel i'm like there's there's just well you do have a great british bake-off maybe you can have a bake-off and we can have a novel there you go Possibly. well yeah there's, there's to be a trade-off <laughs> <laughs> um but, but yeah, like Neil I'm, Gaiman I'm talking about like American gods, you know, like he was like, where do like I have the right as a British person to write this like American road trip ode to mm. America story? And he's like, but at the same time, he has this like romantic fascination with America as the outsider that we don't have. So yeah. right. go either way. Which, which I'm sure not everybody has, but like it's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I have a complicated relationship with westerns i feel like i often really enjoy fantasy westerns so i was hoping i would like this i did not <laughs> not at all or like not that much not very much oh <laughs> so uh it should be an interesting conversation but yeah i i often like fantasy westerns and i like some versions of western movies i like some of the more modern ones that don't tie into some of the more problematic tropes of early western movies that, there's um, that about westerns <laughs> yeah and i feel like this book leaned too far into trying to really be a traditional western well has um, semi-problematic tropes you... included have either of you seen it's not like a retelling of it but have either of you seen the movie that is most heavily what inspired this book unforgiven with clint eastwood no no okay because if personally like i watched the movie after my second time reading red country and this book is way better in my opinion than that movie so i was like well if this is what inspired you and you were like kind of loosely basing some kind of like structure and plot beats off of this i was like well you definitely improved on the source material sir <laughs> Yeah, I felt like um, it was one of those, I, th I feel like, because I recognized a lot of the tropes, like reading it, I definitely felt that the, it still felt like a first law book in my head, that it didn't feel like it was making itself something that it isn't in terms of fitting in the universe. Uh, and I actually felt like some of the characters, like, of course, in every book, there are returning characters. I felt like the returning characters served the tropes without it feeling contrived like oh we've put them in there to fit the trope it felt like no the trope happens to fit what we're trying to tell here so i think that's what i respected more is like for someone that doesn't enjoy westerns that much i was kind of like oh you've done something innovative with the format for me that that i think won me over quite a bit well i also yeah. i think i mean because i don't like westerns that much 
and I love first law. So if they're like on a scale or like on opposite sides of like whatever, I'm like, well, this is less good than most first law because it's a Western, but it's better than all Westerns because it's first law. <laughs> so like it, it detracts and improves on whichever one you're comparing it to. Yeah. I mean, I do think in some ways with the characters, I see what you're saying. You know, some of the people that we're bringing back in this book fit with the the vibe of a western a lot i wish though that instead of doing a retelling or you know or instead of leaning so hard into following so many of the beats of a western film i wish he had taken the vibe and the setting and done something a little different with it because I, like i think there's a world in which i could have really liked this but i could there were like things i just that didn't work for me very well. I'm assuming those are spoilery things that you'll tell us about in a minute. <laughs> I mean, some of it is. I, one thing that I'll say that I think I just, it's like I couldn't not see it and it kept pulling me out of the story is, and I I can see that he tried. <laughs> like it was one of these things where, cause like, okay. So like one of the, the biggest issues with Westerns is their treatment of Native Americans and indigenous people. And I can see that Abercrombie was trying to, like, find a workaround to not do that by making them sort of this mashup of Native American and Celts that are white with red hair as, you know, with the, the ghosts and stuff. However, it they still play into all of the worst stereotypes of Native Americans in Western films. And still are just like tying right into all of the sort of like worst things. So I think he tried to get away from it, but was still, and it's hard because he is British. And so I don't know how much he knows of the history of that or of like where those things become problems, but that bothered me. To me, I, per I mean, that's fair. To me, I personally feel like the biggest problem, or I shouldn't say the biggest problem, but one of the biggest problems with those types of things in Westerns is that while it does that to Native Americans, it simultaneously heroicizes the white man and he right. never heroicizes the white man. So like, it would be strange if he did heroicize the, the Native peoples because that's something that he never does. He never heroicizes any peoples. He makes no. them all awful. So like, I was just like, it's pretty like even across the board. Everyone's kind of terrible. <laughs> it's not that. It's some of the very specific things. So for instance having the a lot of them be alcoholics having them take people's ears instead of scalps where the whole scalp mythos isn't even accurate it was actually white soldiers who were taking scalps as a way of getting paid for killing indigenous people it kind of was used in the media as a way of like creating fear of native americans of saying oh they like take scalps when they actually didn't or most of them didn't but so it was things like that it was like specific choices to have them do these things that play into harmful tropes that are still used today in the way that people talk about indigenous people in America who are still facing, you know, like more oppression and more violence in certain ways. So I think like all of that, I was like, oh, <laughs> like, like this. Mm, no, I, uh, I would say that's my biggest problem with the book was reading it. I, I felt that it did have these very iffy points like like you were saying, everything you said, I completely agreed with. And I do understand what you're talking about as well, Liana, with like, I did have that point where I was like, there, it's very much that the colonizers here are still the problem. Like right. they are the ones that are at fault. But some of it, it, it reminded me of, um, there's a film called Bone Tomahawk, which is like a modern Western. It's like a, it's it, the first half is a Western and then it switches into a horror film where it's this like sect of uh, indigenous people that are, they're cannibals. And it's this, this horrific uh, like depiction. And so, like, the start of the film has one indigenous character be like, oh, no, th these aren't indigenous people. These are these are bad people. Even we think that. And it's like, that is such a, a, a poor covering for what you're doing. And I felt like that kind of was the case there. I'm like, I understand what Abercrombie's trying to do with being like, no, 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 we're, we're playing into the tropes, but we're showing that the the in in this the uh the kind of the oppressors and the right. colonizers are the real problem but it's whether it's whether it justifies the means whether 
whether that happens. And I think that's just on a personal basis. But I found myself sitting in the middle, which is why I think I'd find myself sitting in the middle of both of you in terms of how you felt about the book, probably. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting in the middle of the road. I'm not yeah. picking a side. <laughs> to the point that you just made uh, more broadly than just this specific type of storyline or pro uh, problem. Very often stories, movies, books, things like that that in in some way or other their thesis or what they're trying to do is to make a commentary that is stating that like violence is the problem or that fascination with violence is the problem nine mm -hmm. times out of ten are violent books and violent films that people are consuming because they enjoy a violent thing in their media even if the like the what they're like, like if you watch gladiator that's an action mm -hmm. movie in which it's saying, isn't it horrible how they have this coliseum where they make people fight to the death? And you're like, yes, but I am enjoying watching them fight to the death in this movie. So like, right. I know that's your point, but you're also, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, it's, I mean, yeah. that's, that's true about this Western and what we're saying for like that specific issue, but like so many films and, and books while they're trying to make this point about something being bad are showing you the thing and that's why you are watching or reading it because you enjoy the thing they're saying is bad. Yes. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is like, I think there, there is a way that he could have done that and made it work. But this is, this is the kind of thing where I'm like, I don't know that people were talking when this, when Red Country came out about this, this is the kind of thing where I'm like, if you had an indigenous sensitivity reader, like this could have been a lot better. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I do think there's a way to do it where you're making that point and you're having these characters, but they're, and even have it still feel like a first law book. It's not about heroicizing them. I think like, you know, like that's not really the point, but it's like, there were very specific things that I'm like, mm, no, that's not, not great. You know? I think that plays into, to be fair, like the first law itself, like it has a lot of problematic things. Um, like it's it's like uh, in this book it has the r word it is um right. it has descriptions of like very racial descriptions and that's like through from the very first book it, yeah. it it i feel like it doesn't it doesn't hide away from the connotations that can be made to the real world mm -hmm. um so i feel like that's also probably an important thing to mention in terms of like that yeah. if you've if you've read everything else in red country like if you've read everything else in the first law up to this point it probably like you'll have those little bits like you do with everything but it won't I don't think it's necessarily for everyone that is going to make them like squeamish squeamish if you like. yeah well and also I mean like I think we talked about it in um one of the I think maybe the episode on before they were hanged because in that portion of first law we're a lot in Gurkle and Gurkle is very there there's a lot of Middle Eastern kind of influence on how that's depicted yeah. and like you have an equal amount of arguably problems with that if uh, if we're using these stereotypes and there again he's making the quote well not hero but protagonist glockta say some things about, like i don't care about the natives but what i do care about is that what you're doing is inefficient and stupid so like right. let's use local labor and like he's not actually making points you know he like he's it's again that whole thing of like making a commentary about this is all bad mm -hmm. and i'm i'm not I'm, I'm not proposing a solution and i'm you are entertained by the badness of this but you know like he's it's uh to Ben's point, like if you've read First Law, he's shown problematic things about a bunch of different things that have yeah. real world uh, parallels or real world inspirations. So if you read this, you'd be like, that's par for the course for First Law that like, oh, it's it's the Native Americans turn to get the First Law treatment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I do think that's true. I think for me and granted, part of this is probably like the fact that I have been so much more in the conversations happening with and thinking about stuff happening with indigenous people in America right now that it bothered me more. <laughs> like I think is really what it comes down to is I was just like, and it, and it kept pulling me out of the story because I was like thinking more about that than I was about what was happening. And so I think that that just experientially was what he, what he chose not to tackle, which is in Unforgiven, is there's a whorehouse, which is filled with whores. And that's more the kind of like people that are being attacked and or protected. It's not children. So Abercrombie very much chose not to do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of relieved that that was not what we were doing in Red Country. Oh my gosh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like the plot was interesting. I also think like beyond just this, I mean, this was like one of the big things that for me kind of didn't like didn't positively impact my experience with it. But I also just like didn't care as much about most of the characters as I usually do in his books. 
I don't know. I have to admit, I loved Shy and Lamb. Like, their relationship was fascinating. And, uh, like, pre-spoilers, it's, it's just the evolution of everything there is incredible. To be fair, it's not even pre-spoilers, because I think first chapter, like, it's very much everything's revealed. Like, if you've read the, the other books, yeah, you, well, like, you, know, you kind of know. Anyone yeah. will be able to say this, but the cover tells you who is going to be in this book. <laughs> I felt like there's the, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler, there's, there's a caravan of people, there's a, there's a large amount of cast introduced at one point, mm -hmm. and there's like a chapter introducing them, and I do, I do feel like there were a lot of large groups in this book, rather than kind of sometimes where you have like characters that have those little groups around them, this is sometimes nine, ten people in one group, six or seven in another five and six and the other and i felt like at one point where you're introducing all these people i was like this needs to pay off and there are parts that i do think are really paid off and bits not as much yeah. uh, like a certain group i think plays an instrumental part in the ending the caravan has a function that isn't necessarily there in the beginning you're kind of like where is this going and then it works but sometimes there are characters that i felt like they didn't need to be there necessarily they didn't serve a larger they were function. just color for the scene exactly yeah well speaking of payoff i'll save like explaining this for the spoilery section because it's spoilers for both red country and spoilers for unforgiven but there's a mm -hmm. thing in unforgiven that he's clearly like recreating a specific kind of situation in mm -hmm. red country and i read red country twice first so i knew how that was handled and resolved in red country so when i watched unforgiven i was waiting for that to be paid off in a maybe different way but like that it would be paid off because it's paid off in red country and it wasn't and I was like, did Abercrombie watch this movie and go, why was that never paid off? I'm going to pay it off. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, by that metric alone, and I think a lot of things are better about Red Country, but if like by that alone, Red Country is better because this thing that it set up, it paid off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I wanted more from certain characters, I think, and I wanted to spend more time in places that we didn't spend as much time some of which is spoilery so I'm not gonna like say too much about it but yeah I don't know like I think I think most of his books there's at least some like one character that I just like love often not always but often there's someone that I'm like I am really invest either love them or I'm just like really interested in them or really invested in their story and I don't know that I really had anybody like that in this one I mean it was fun to see some return characters I did like some of them but I just emotionally wasn't as invested as I usually am well and I've mentioned this before I think to you and in general that like right he's said Abercrombie has said that he felt the most personally burned out when he was writing Red Country and I've always said that I think I kind of feel that when I read it, but I also always feel burned out by Westerns. Like I just have a burnout kind of vibe to Westerns. Mm -hmm. So like if you're going to have that feeling for any book, like it's appropriate <laughs> for a Western. So like yeah. when he said that, I was like, I don't know if I actually feel the burnout you're describing as a reader or if it's just that it's a Western. I would have felt that anyway. But either way, like, you know, I hear yeah. you. <laughs> I'm interested to know whether anyone else thought, because I, I buddy read this with uh, Joanna, and I felt that there is a plot line in this book that is the single darkest thing I've read in in First Law so far up until this point. There is, like, when we get to spoilers, we'll talk about it, but there is a particular plot line that I, I really felt like I, I finished, and I was like, that was... Normally, there's an, an element of satire to every element of the First Law book that... Even if it's dark, I'm still laughing or having a little chuckle along with it. It's like seeing what he's poking fun at. Where with with one particular plot line, I was like, "This is just I feel so like dark." I, know. I feel like I know which thing it is, but we'll see if I'm I. I right feel like say. maybe we can move into because we're at twenty. I was minutes. just going to say move, like we should move right into before right before we do spoilers because <laughs> okay, we've been okay. more a little more negative I think than positive, and I just wanted to say that like the first two times I read it, I gave it three stars. And it, I would still say it is my least favorite first law book, but I gave it four stars this time because I realized, I don't know, like I fully realized or like fully like counted in my head that like 90, at least 90% of my favorite quotes in all of first law are in red country. And I'm, and so then people are like, why don't you like it very much? And I'm like, because quotes, quotable quotes do not a good story make. So yeah. I'm like, the story is not my favorite. The setting is not my favorite. But there are so many absolute gems of quotable quotes in Red Country. Like, it's just, like, bursting. As I was going through it, I was like, 
because I, in the interim, frequently send people, you know, first law quotes to be like, well, here's an example of how it's great, or here's an example of what's super relevant, or here's something to put on a mug. And as mm -hmm. I was going through it, it was like, I was that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio going like, hey, that's that quote that I send people. Hey, that's that quote that I send people. Hey, that's that quote that I send people. <laughs> I was like, they're all in red country. So I was like, that's not nothing. So like I mm -hmm. raised it to four stars because I was like, some of my all-time favorite words <laughs> in first law are in red yeah. country. So I gave it two and a half stars. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I also gave it four stars. Oh. And that's uh, like, I think three and a half is the least I've ever given. And I think it will be an unpopular opinion to say that I gave that for best served cold. Um, I told you, um, Bethany, people don't like best served cold. You She's told like, me. It, okay, favorite. so best served like, cold is, is not. It's, <laughs> it's one of my favorites. That yeah, I've read. I, I watched the video and I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> but it's funny because you're not wrong. Like, the more I talk to other people, a lot of people don't like best served cold, which is, is so interesting. I think it's I definitely like there are people that love it and people that don't. For me, yeah. I just thought it overstayed its welcome by about 150 pages. Like, if, if best served cold was this that. length, I think I would like also love it um I, can, I mean but, i can i can see that but yeah but uh yeah i gave this four stars because uh i i think it was just the the lamb and shy uh that that relationship really like it got me through it at least mm. if we're doing spoilers now which are we yeah let's now? do spoilers i was gonna say like i i like lamb and shy but i mean i'm here for Casca. i love Casca. Mm, <laughs> and i yeah, love yeah. having it like if there's a, a yeah. person that i'm most excited about following in red country and it's not even like that I'm that invested in his arc per se, because he doesn't really have an arc, but like like half the, half of those 90% of quotes, so 45% of quotes are Casca quotes from Red Country. <laughs> he does have some good quotes in this book. Yeah. yeah. Casca goes like, Casca is such an interesting character in terms of spoilers like previously. Mm -hmm. Watching him develop to one of the worst people that there's ever existed like yeah. he goes but also you don't hate him because like absolutely <laughs> there was a point where i was like i was i was fascinated by the fact that he'd taken Costco to a point where he's doing like unfathomably evil acts like decimating oh, yeah. towns like threatening just... to kill children <laughs> I mean, like, yeah like culling yeah. people like, like yeah. a, a literal like basically like a, a, a planned genocide just to kill all these people and take over yeah and his justification of like i'm doing it like uh, it's not me doing it it's the union doing it they just that they're condoning me so uh like if they wanted to stop me they could but they've they've let me loose and so like he it's that kind of distancing himself from responsibility yeah. and then uh, i loved I forgot his name. I loved him hiring uh, a, a biographer. That yes. was one of the funniest things. Well, I was going to say, whenever I talk about Sharp Ends, yeah. which I haven't quite gotten to, but my favorite story in Sharp Ends is the one that is... Oh, the biographer right. one. That was really yeah. funny. That was which if you guys did it on audio, I don't know if you did. I um, did, yeah. So Abercrombie reads that story himself. He reads that story. He does. Nice. Yeah. I was going to say, to your point about Costco, like, he doesn't say this quote, but it's basically about Costco. I mean, I think it's Swarbrick that says it. That evil turned out not to be a grand thing, not sneering emperors with their world-conquering designs, not cackling demons plotting in the darkness beyond the world. It was small men with their small acts and their small reasons. It was selfishness and carelessness and waste. It was bad luck, incompetence and stupidity. It was violence divorced from conscience or consequence. It was high ideals, even and low methods. Yeah. Which, like, another excellent first law quote from Red Country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, Swarbrick really made me laugh, and and the payoff was Swarbrick. Like, there is no one else that was more fitting to do that than the person that was meant, like the person hired to find the goodness in Costco was like, there is nothing here, and he needs to die. Like, it's such a brilliant, such a brilliant end to that character. I think that's the thing that gets Red Country over the line for me, especially is is the the finality to that character is so well done. And it takes him to a place where you're like, he has to die. There's no way he can move forward from this in any way. Like, this is the end. You, you've you've done the fall of character. Like, he was already evil. You've now moved him so far down that he can't go anywhere. Like, it's just, there's no flaw to hit. He, he's there. But I think that's so, also, uh, like, demonstrating the talent of Abercrombie as a writer. Because as you say, like, we have reached that point with Costco where no one disagrees that, you know, it's right that he should die. But at the same time, he says so many things in it where you're like, He's not this like cackling, mustache twirling evil that you're like evil mm -hmm. incarnate and must be like 
Like he doesn't feel like the spawn of Satan. It's exactly no. like that quote about like it's carelessness, yeah. it's lack of conscience, it's just like mm -hmm. it's it's callousness. And he even has quotes that you like. That's the problem. Like you you end up agreeing with dark things when you read First Law, and you're like, oh, what does this mean about me? Well, when Casca <laughs> makes points about how like he is a killer, but he's not a hypocrite. He doesn't pretend to hide behind high ideals. So that when he makes that point, you're like, that's probably why we kind of still like you because you're not sitting here justifying your actions you're not sitting mm -hmm. here saying well i'm doing this for the greater good he's like i am a killer you have hired me to be a killer you don't hire mercenaries unless you have some dark deeds in mind why mm -hmm. I, I know what i am you know what i am i don't claim to be anything else which is why you're like i mean you are awful we agree and even you agree <laughs> so it's stuff like that where you're like that that's why you can't fully cross the line into like loathing and hating him the way that you might like bias or somebody yeah I think that's definitely true. I I don't know. One thing that I thought was kind of cool is I always love how we get these sort of magical objects that have so much mystery around them, which in this case was this like mechanical magic dragon. I was like, but then it gets buried and like, well, there's the end of that. You know, I mean, like, I don't know. I think you were asking before about like, we're in sword and like, what was it going to mean for the future? And I was like, it doesn't mean anything because MacGuffins never mean anything in First Law. In fact, all of First Law trilogy is like a long quest to find a useless MacGuffin that they didn't find. Like, the answer is never that like, oh, this is planting for like when they're all brought together for the big team up. It's never that. <laughs> It's like before they are hanged with the MacGuffin where they travel to the end of the world and it's just uh, it's just an empty box. Like that was, the, I think, the moment where I fell in love with First Law was that like opening the box and there being nothing. I was like, you've not only think... wasted the character's time, you've wasted my time as well and I adore you for it. <laughs> when you say that's the moment that you fell in love, I think that is like the watershed moment that determines if you love First Law or if you hate First Law. Because when you reach that point, if you have one of two reactions, you're like, WTF, I feel like betrayed by this author. Like this is basically a big screw you from the author. You know, so screw you right back. I'm not reading anymore. Or you're venom me and you're like, oh my God, I love that you just wasted all my time. You little genius, you. <laughs> so like once you reach that point, that's when you can just, I feel like, I don't know. You can't say that without spoilers, but I, if, I, if someone was like, should I read First Law? Should I continue? How do I know when I've reached the good point? Or how do I know like, because people say keep mm -hmm. going and they're like, how long do I keep going before I decide? No, it's not for me. That's, yeah. the, that's the moment. If you've reached that point and you're upset about it instead of like, oh man, that's pretty good. <laughs> then you, you should probably stop. <laughs> He's not the author for you. I think. I don't I, know. I, I like, I think with that, I fell like right in the middle of it where I was kind of like, I am annoyed by this. <laughs> Which is why it's, you know, like it's not, it's my least favorite book of that trilogy. Also, it's a road trip book. It's and my I'm like, favorite you, book. You, I was like, because That's I'm like, you story. made me spend all this time on a road trip, which I hate reading in fantasy which books. Which Red, Red Country is nothing. also Red Country is also yeah. a road trip book. So That's true. I'm that might also be. That like That's accurate. That might be also part of my problem. I, I prefer like when we maybe... spend more time in a place. I feel like maybe describing Red Country is like the Mad Max Fury Road of the First Law. Like, but it's like just a, a lot more low, it's like, more it low key. Kind of... yeah, oh yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, rather than like an action scene as a road trip, it's, it's just like the it's like the trip. Mad Max irritation road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like just to go back to to Lam, because now of course we can say we can, we can say who Lam is. Then I assume. Yeah. Even yeah, though so in Red Country they never actually say, they never say. They do never say. But I think in the first chapter, no. I think it is like you've got to be reasonable about these things. Yeah, like, you're Whoa. like, oh, you can never have too like... many knives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like the, I love that the, it's from Lamb's perspective, and uh, the slow, like when you re like when as soon as you realize who that is, and the journey of knowing where, like where Logan is now. And watching Shai's reaction as she just becomes so disarmored by this man and, and realizes that he's a monster. And we see a completely different, we see a pre-First Law trilogy Logan in terms of like, he is genuinely frightening in this book. Like I was, there were parts I was reading it and the description from Shai's perspective of seeing basically her dad murder so many people and almost murder her and i was genuinely scared that's the but in terms of the 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 visceral nature of it like the way abercrombie wrote it really hit me as like this is 
this is such a great way of showing who Nine Fingers is, which makes you recontextualize how everyone approaches him in First Law um, in terms which, of the Northerners. We see even more truly horrific Nine Fingers and Sharpens when you're really like, oh, when people say he has a past and they quake in fear of Nine Fingers, like it's not until the end of Sharpens that you're that you truly, truly realize who Nine Fingers was. But um, what I was actually going to say is that in Besser of Cold, we kind of talk about how Shivers is kind of paralleling the Logan arc. And he's sort of like, you see the genesis of a new Nine Fingers coming into his own kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because I feel like in Red Country, we feel a paralleling of Monza's arc in Shy observing Shivers and Logan because Monza is like annoyed at Shiver's optimism. And she's annoyed that he wants to be a better man. And she's like, that's so naive. And that's so Mm. silly. And then Shiver's loses an eye and goes dark and becomes, you know, final form Shiver's. And she's like, dang it. I kind of miss, like, I I regret wishing that. I preferred you when you were optimistic. And we see Shy, like always lamenting in her head that Lamb is such a coward. Lamb is so useless. Lamb would never like, oh, he says he's going to handle a fight. I'll handle the fight because he's he'll just like nod and let them take everything we own. And then she gets her wish. He's actually not a coward. He will take care of business and he'll get the job done. And careful what you wish for. It's the same as like Mons observing shivers is like, I I wished for this and this is not what I wanted. That's true. There are a lot of parallels there. I did think it was interesting to see Logan and learn kind of, okay, where had he been? Some of what he'd been doing during the interim. And of course, you know, it is uh, like tragic and ironic that he chose the name Lamb for his new life. Um, Lamb and and Shy. (laughs) Like Shy, because she also (laughs) asked him, she's like, you know, about as stupid as naming your kid after like social awkwardness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's like clearly he must have had a series of years where he was happy, where he, you know, like, like was a step parent and had somebody he cared about. And then, you know, she died. This all happens. And, you know, I don't know. It's like he can't have a quiet life that he made. Well, I think wanted. it's in a, a different first law book, which they they might have repeated in Red Country about how the seeds of the past bear fruit in the present, which has like been a recurring like theme yeah. in all of the books. Yeah. And like again, one of my favorite like Red Country quotes that I have like always like quoted so many times, like I've ne- and I never forgot that it was from Red Country, is that when they're talking about like running away to like find a new place and to like escape what you've been before. I think uh Lamb is talking to Temple about this. And he's like, the trouble is wherever you run, there you are. Meaning that like you carry yourself and all of the problems that are you yeah. to this new place. <laughs> so you can, you, there's no running from yourself. And I just always loved that quote so much. One of my favorite like parallels that happens in this book, particularly like, which I think is in terms of Shivers and Logan being set up together as this parallel, the introduction to, is it Pitt or Roe? I forget which one it is. The, the girl... The, the work done where Shivers turns up at the end and you have the parallel of Shivers only doesn't fight, uh, doesn't kill Logan because he sees Pitt and it's like, that is me. That is me as a child watching someone I love die from Logan and this person, this kid's just going to come after me and kill me. And the work done there, but then putting an Abercrombie twist on it of switching to Pitt's perspective and she's like, I wish it. I wish he'd killed him. Like, I wish Logan was dead. I think that's the same thing where the secular nature, like, there are always going to be good and evil people. There are going to be those that break a trend and they are going to be those that make it. And that even though Shivers should end a trend there of ending revenge, Logan has already started it in Pit. And, like, Ooh. now Shivers is not the target of that revenge. It's now Pit hates Logan. And but it's like, at the same time... Way. If we had, you know, parallel universes, you know, like butterfly effect, what if the different decision had been made? It's also, it's not at all impossible that if Shivers, because it's easy to say, I wish he'd killed him. That's different from it actually happening, you actually seeing it. Yeah. Right. Because we learn from Shivers, like at first when it's never, when Shivers is a young kid and you. brother. Yeah, you. exactly. What I was going to say is so yeah. like he, when you, he's always like, I need to kill Logan. He killed my father. He killed my brother, whatever, whatever. And then it's only later when he's talking to Monza that he's like, you know what? No, I don't feel like you did because you adored your brother. And you know what? I hated my brother. And I only wanted revenge because you're supposed to want that. Mm, and yeah. I, I'm glad he's dead. And so like, uh, but he still went after Logan. Like it didn't break the cycle, even though he felt that right. way. So just because like, um, I think it's Ro that's a girl, but I'm not sure. 
But regardless, just because she's sitting there watching this and being like, oh, I wish you'd killed Logan. If he had killed Logan, who's to say she wouldn't turn into Shivers 2.0 and be like, I mean, okay, I did hate Logan, but also you killed Logan and I can't let that yep. stand. So I there's no winning, the, basically. Yeah. The point of that first law is just, it's never good. Yeah. Nothing good has ever come out of first law. But I was going to say, I think- History like, is littered with dead good men. Another first law <laughs> quote. <laughs> My, I, when I was talking about the darkest moment in first law so far was uh, the the moment when Logan kills the leader of the ghosts and takes I, the kids Yeah, back. I thought that was what you were And like, yeah. That moment, the the weird, it, it's such a, a strange altercation in terms of stealing children. I'm going to say it. This may be an outland. This may be a hot take. Stealing children is not cool. And so, like, you, naturally, you view them and you're like, that was that's wrong. But at the same time, these children seem to be, even though they are, like, Stockholm syndromed into liking this person, I thought it was so beautifully done the way that the leader of the ghosts goes to let her leave. And then having that parallel to when she goes to leave Logan and Logan tackles her to the ground and pins her. And it's like, I'm not letting you go again. And there's something so dark and so that like there are so many questions and that you cannot answer. There's just so many problems and views and disgusting acts and all of this happening that I was just like, this is genuinely like this is making me think things that I don't know how to feel. I don't know what I'm meant to take away other than this is really messed up. Um, I mean, like, it's, it's, it would be, if you hear that there's a storyline, it's pretty straightforward. They're like, children have been kidnapped. You go to rescue the child that's been kidnapped. Easy. Rescuer, good guy. Kidnapper, bad guy. This is a simple story. And I know how to feel about this. Mm-hmm. And then you read it and you're like, I think I'm rooting for the kidnapper. And I think <laughs> that the rescuer is the villain. But is why do I feel like that? Is that right? I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, it is interesting because, like, there are, I think, I don't know if I want to say this because I'm not sure that I'm right and, like, maybe I'm going to be wrong about this. But, but, like, I think there have been some stories of white children being kidnapped by Native American tribes under, like, warfare things and then them just being treated like family and treated very well treated like you know and then when people would sometimes like try to rescue them that they wouldn't want to go because maybe they were actually being treated better than they had been in their original homes so like i think there is a historical basis for doing it which i think is is interesting yeah well not just with native um peoples i mean throughout history there's been exchanges of hostages exchanges of like you know you send like a like royalty would have like the heirs of all the houses like come and live with them because in theory they're hostages but they're being treated to a a good life so like there's constantly complicated situations like that where like right um, and we see in other books you know talking about who is it is is blood the most important thing or is it who treats you well who raises you who has taken care of you so like the the symbol of like this is my child and you have stolen my child and i want them back like you know if we then this is not true of logan he's always been kind to the children but like let's say he had been abusing them which he wasn't but like let's say that was the case you know then it would be again you would be like well the kidnapper kidnapped them mm-hmm. but the child was being abused so like there's right. it's it's not ever that simple yeah well, and it's also like who is is giving the child agency. Well, and this is, I think, what's interesting and is complicated in Red Country is like who is the one who is actually treating the child like property versus giving the child agency. And I don't know. That's it's uh, well, and then combined with that is also like giving the child agency or a child agency sounds like a positive thing. But again, like you say, Stockholm syndrome. Like we observed them treating the kids pretty well, but like mm-hmm. Lamb doesn't know that. And, like, all he knows is they kidnapped the children. And just because the children, like, everyone who's endured torture knows that your brain can be turned to thinking positively of your kidnapper. So, like, for Lamb to say, like, you've been kidnapped and tortured and, like, you think you want to run away, but for your own good, like, just saying, oh, well, that's what you want. That's your choice. Okay, well, then you would do it. Like, that's not necessarily a good idea either. It's like we need some first law therapists. (laughs) Everyone in first law needs therapy. (laughs) They all need therapy. (laughs) I feel like uh, this book does a lot towards. I feel like Abercrombie hates middlemen. He hates middle management. So, like the the way that uh, like the people that are 
Oh, wait, what was that? Sorry? She said, who doesn't? doesn't? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, the way that the, the, the true evil of this are, like, you've got Koska, in terms of the actual kidnapping, the one that's the worst is the dude that actually took the kids and then gave it, because he's like, that's their culture, I'm being paid to do it by someone else, like, I'm not involved in this, I just, you know, killed a couple of people and stole some kids. Like, he, like, there's a justification. Like, I'm just it. doing the job I was paid to do. Yeah, exactly. If I have to kill a couple of people, then that's just part of the, that's part of the course. But like, mm -hmm. th those are the people that are the real, they're the horrific ones. And then it's usually those that are then victims of that, that then are corralled into doing the worst actions as a result of it. And I feel like that's something that like goes kind of subtly throughout all of Abercrombie's work. It's well, just, I mean, like cycles of trauma. Yeah. So we also see, which I think is interesting, right? The beginnings of industrialization happening in this book, which I know. Which Leanna, is again why I mentioned. always say to read all the first law books before you get to Age of Madness because it's more. Yeah. So that's interesting. And then I guess the other person we haven't talked about, but I want to have some time to talk about sharp ends because we're already at like forty-five minutes almost. But Temple is is such an interesting character. <laughs> And I, yeah, I did, like, there were definitely some things with Temple that I enjoyed and his obsession with Shy and having all of these random careers that he's had where he just kind of, like, molds himself into whatever he Jack of all be. trades. Jack of all trades, indeed. Yeah. I, I was actually, because I think he's a character that is imposter syndrome defined because he's not like he describes himself, oh, I, just, I did like carpentry for a bit. The guy builds a building. Like he he's an architect, and like yeah. he I think someone tells like, him that too. They're like, you should have said that you're an architect. Yeah. He's like, wow. Yeah. And like, I love the kind of like he. You believe him at first. You're like, oh, this guy. Yeah, like I I can believe that Temple sucks at everything. Like he's just he can get by. And then you but actually, he's good at everything. He, yeah, and he's just like he's he hates himself so much that he just tells everyone that he's he's terrible. So then they automatically assume it. And the work with in, imposter syndrome with him, I thought was really good. Yeah. Well, and Not he's also happiest when somebody else is controlling his life. He wants someone else to take charge and tell him what to do. He doesn't really want to do it himself. But uh, not specifically with imposter syndrome, but we've seen this before where a character tells you who they believe they are and you take them at their word. And then later in the story, you realize that, oh, they're wrong about who they are. Like I see this like with Monza, Monza where she's, yeah, she tells the reader that her brother was great, that she's awful, that she's evil, that she's like the most ruthless, most horrible killer that there ever was. And then you realize from seeing her own actions, from seeing how she reacts to things, from hearing what Casca has to say about her and she, he's known her her whole life. And he knew Benna, which you've never really seen before. You realize, oh, what Monza told you about herself, what Monza believes about herself is not accurate. And mm -hmm. you see that over and over again. And for a slow, we're like, what pe people's idea of themselves. And then the same thing, the other, uh, the other way where someone, well, Giselle has really like, he's very self-important. And you're just very clear that he has no reason to be. So he's always playing with like people's perceptions of themselves versus reality. Yeah. I will say I am enjoying talking about Red Country a lot more than I enjoyed reading Red Country. <laughs> which, I mean, which honestly says something about the quality of Abercrombie's writing because there is so much to talk about, even though I didn't necessarily have the best time reading it. Well, that was like kind of my revelation about the quotes where I was like, I don't think of this book that fondly because I don't have that much fun reading it. But yeah. the number of quotes that I think are just like the best quotes of all time <laughs> that are in this book, you yeah. know, like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we could briefly talk about Sharp Ends. <laughs> well, maybe we should start with this story that is based on Red Country. Does a okay. nice transition. It was so funny. We, I'm assuming we all loved that story. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was entertaining. <laughs> Which is the juxtaposition of like having just observed, like it's good to read them like directly back to back mm -hmm. because like having just seen the precise events that he's describing and how they actually went down and then hearing about like his like glistening, quivering mustaches and the tear that trickles oh. from his eye and oh that, gosh. you know, better that he die than a single innocent to be harmed. And you're just oh, like... Oh, God. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's like the only thing that's the same as the thing about heads on pikes, you know? <laughs> but the way that... It's, it's also, like, outside of just commentary on Casca, it's a great um, showcase of, like, 
the way that you phrase something changes everything. So like history mm-hmm. is written by the victors, etc. So you're like, we both stories told us that there were heads on pikes. But if you only read freedom, you'd be like, well, it was necessary. Well, you know, we understand that like sometimes dark things happen in history, but you know, it was, you know, to the ultimate good and it was justified, yeah. whatever, just because of how it was told, even though the fact did not change. Right. Um, and then you see right reread Red Country and you're like, oh, actually, <laughs> I don't know about that. Yep. But yes, there's other, there's others. Well, there is, I mean, Temple is also in Red, in uh, Sharp Ends. Yeah. I have to say my favorite character uh, in all throughout the stories who I really hope we get to see more of in later books is, is it Javra or Javra? Yeah, you won't, but <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Oh, Everyone who reads, so no. Everyone who reads Sharp Ends is like, I want a whole novel about um, Shavedia and Javra. And I'm like, yeah, well, maybe someday. <laughs> oh, I no. Love I love much. them. They were so great. You get their whole like life's like you get like, but you keep checking in with them as years pass. Yeah. So like if you did actually have a book about them, like, but you've like checked in already. Like yeah. you've seen yeah. their whole well, but like I want to see them like interacting with other storylines in in the world. I don't know. She was like that. They were they were great. Like everything with the like some of the stories. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I don't care that much. But I really really loved every time they showed up in the stories. They were great. Yeah, because I was thinking when I started the first one, I have to admit I was like, I don't know how to feel about this because I feel like we have we've heard so much about Glocka, like in terms of, to give context, the first story is uh, like Glocka just before the charging into the wall. Which uh, very quickly, I think the order of the stories is interesting that we start with a Glocka prequel and we end with a Logan prequel that we like bookend it with like the very most known characters with the most known events from their past. And then the middle is like- interesting. Good point. Yeah. Because I- Sharp ends. um, (laughs) Because I thought that when it started, we've heard so much about who Glocka was and we've also seen Giselle, who is the direct comparison for it. That I was like, we know who Glocka was because we've spent an entire trilogy with Giselle. Like we've we've seen that character be the worst. Yeah. Um, and so like, I was worried. I was like, I hope this is not going to be the case because the whole point of First Law are all the comparisons and the parallels. So we're going to have characters that we've experienced this kind of with. But, and then so when we had the introduction of, I don't know how to pronounce it. I, I pronounced her Shevardaya. Um, but like that character and uh, Havria, I don't know how to pronounce it as well. The audiobook said Jevra and uh, I don't know. And Shevedia. yeah. Okay. I'm, uh, I will dodge their names because like, I feel <laughs> okay. like I've internalized them in my head now my That's way. Okay. And I'm going okay. to get into trouble with you. That's okay. They, they, they were fascinating. And when I realized that they were going to keep popping in, I was like, thank goodness that he's taken this approach because otherwise I think it could get really kind of dull you mean like if um, every story was a glocka yeah. type story where it's all a prequel type thing for someone else yeah or kind of like all completely characters we've already seen before yeah. whereas this having a fresh perspective i was like this is what we needed like in interacting with previous characters but a fresh perspective and like the the relationship of uh everywhere with the, oh, the, that the sisterhood other, the, yeah, the system, like that whole relationship was so interesting that yeah. I was like, I just want to know more. I, I know, but also it's this. never going to be, yeah. you know, he never explains magic. He never explains like origins. Right. Because it's like, well, whatever I tell you will be boring. If I just leave it, you know, kind of vague, you're like, what a mysterious, interesting bit of lore there must be. And you're like, there isn't because I haven't thought of what's actually going on there. But you're welcome. <laughs> it felt like a Dragon Ball line. Like... Like, people just kept on coming up, and they just kept on fighting them. And, yeah. like, she was so overpowered. She was so overpowered. I was Which, just like, like, this is Abercrombie is one of the few yeah. authors that can handle an overpowered character. Because Bias is overpowered, but it's never, yeah. it never feels like it's breaking the stakes of the story or breaking right. the... Right, yeah. Well, because people are still people, and it's... Yeah. Well, like, one yeah. of my favorite stories that's, like, you know, it's about um, Shodi and Jevra is when they meet Wurren on the bridge, and they're... Mm-hmm refusing to it, it seems like something out of monty python where they're like refusing to let the other one pass so they're going to fight about it but you can't fight on the bridge there's no room so they're go- going to like go to one side of the bridge and essentially let someone pass so that they can have their fight about who's going to be able to pass on the bridge <laughs> and shavedia is like are you kidding me right now you're you're gonna let her pass so that you can fight her 
about passing or like yeah and then they fight about who's gonna start or who's gonna pay someone back and like everything is a fight and you're like and i love that shavetti keeps thinking to herself this is hell this is hell (laughs) (laughs) being around you too is hell (laughs) oh my gosh i also love too that we get like some queer women for the first time in these stories so i'm just i don't know i really like i well that's not true queen therese of talons is queer good point we don't see much of her, but we do know vaguely that you she know. is. But like character, you know, characters were following, I guess. That was that was cool. Yeah, I liked, I enjoyed the short story collection for the most part. I think there were a couple stories I found a little dull, but mostly I liked it. I like that he didn't overdo it, but I did like that there were like a couple stories that were kind of like, because there's so many cases of collateral damage in Besser of Cold, where they keep showing up to kill one person and then kill a bunch of people that was funny okay so i liked that we kept seeing the people who were around when that was going on and were <laughs> among the people who were like something's not going right here what's happening <laughs> like wrong place in the wrong to wrong time oh man yeah that was funny that was good like, like, uh, I, have to admit, I was worried about going into a, i think the same as red country i was worried about going into a short story collection and uh yeah i think he did it in a really like an innovative way um to make it feel rewarding rather than like i i think it is completely like i know some people skip it but i feel like it is completely necessary to kind of round out the full image of that trilogy like that standalone trilogy yeah um it just provides i would would fully expect if and when they ideally when they adapt first law that like the the particularly the first and last stories logan and and glockta Mm-hmm. Those would be flashback scenes that they would include yeah. in like a season one of First Law. Right. Hire having... a young and attractive actor to play Glockta and put a lot of makeup on him so that he can mm. play young and attractive asshole Glockta. <laughs> I have my Glockta. Um, I have my Glockta casting. It literally just popped into my head as we were saying it. It better uh, be the same my, as mine. Mine is Matt Smith, the guy that played the Doctor. Because he's kind of, he can play smarmy, he can play really smarmy, but he's also, like, he can play dark as well, and, like, he's got boyish charm, which then, like, it would work with the Giselle kind of, uh, like, as an older version of Giselle would work. I feel like Matt Matt Smith would be kind of fun. I don't hate your choice, but mine's still better. (laughs) I think Sam Claflin would be an ideal choice for... Oh, I don't even know who that is. I'm going to quickly Google it. Have you watched Piggy Blinders? No. The question Leanna asks everybody. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've seen him in other things, but it was watching Peaky Blinders that first made me go, like, I know you from other stuff. But seeing Mm -hmm. him in Peaky Blinders, I was like, you could play Glockta. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that, yeah. Because he can do, like, evil and, like, uh, corrupt and cynical really well. But he also is, like, young and hot, you know, night man who, like, all the ladies would want to sleep with. So I think he'd be good. (laughs) Why do I have a weird thing now where I'd be interested in seeing the same person play Giselle and Glocka, but wanting heavy makeup to play Glocka, but it's the same person? Oh, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, it would definitely, like, if anyone missed the parallel, it would be yeah, like, yeah. here's the, the parallel we're drawing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it kind of reminds me, it's not the same at all, but the first thing that I popped in my head when you suggested that was how in most, like, plays and movies of Peter Pan, the same actor that plays the father plays Hook. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's true. Same same idea. Although they don't interact. There would be no scenes between them. <laughs> yeah. I think Sharp Ends is good fun. Yeah. I like Sharp Ends. I do think Although, though having new characters with a story kind of weaving it through helps it feel like a thing that it's not as random. But having reread it three times, I have to say I dread the last story. Now I mean the first time I couldn't dread it because I didn't know. But now every time I reread it, because I know what the last story is, and I know how uncomfortably dark. Because like it's not like you don't know that Logan is dark. It's not like you've never seen the Bloody Nine. Yeah. You've never seen the Bloody Nine until you read the last story in Sharp End. I think because Logan has never been my favorite character, I'm less... I mean, it is dark, but I'm less bothered by it as a story because I'm less invested in him. Does that make sense? And I think it probably would have worked more for me if I hadn't have read Red Country first, because I felt that impactful moment 
in Red Country. Mm. But I do also think it recontextualizes Bethod in a really yeah, interesting way. And like, I think that was my takeaway from that well, story. It was contextualized yeah. all the conversations also about, you know, Bethod's relationship with the Bloody Nine and about like when they talk about who he was to him and whether or not he owes him something and why. Like, there's just so many things that I think like reading Sharp Ends, again, like you say, like people say it's skippable and like, I, I, I'm like, nothing is skippable. But okay, whatever. But I think reading that last story, anytime you go back to read the First Law Trilogy and they talk about his past and his history, like before you're like, well, we've seen him be violent, but like we've also know that you guys take advantage and that it's, it's never that clear. When you see this story, like I think as dark as Red Country is and as dark as a lot of the Bloody Nine moments are throughout First Law, the like unhinged senselessness the like chaotic Joker from Batman. I just want to be violent in like a slasher kind of way where like he's painted the walls with entrails and he's like cackling about it, even though we had a conversation about this and he's not like, you've seen him kind of go berserker where he's like in the midst of like a violent frenzy, but this doesn't feel like that. He's mm -hmm. not in a violent frenzy. He is not in battle. He's in his tent having a conversation with you. And he said, sure, you can have him back. And five minutes later, he's painted the walls with his entrails and you were not in battle frenzy. You just did that. Yeah. And like, that is, okay. When people say the bloody nine, that's what that means. <laughs> yep. On that note. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> I think that's a good point, to be fair. That is the, like the end of the book, that just perfectly. Yes. Good ending it. point. Uh, so we are going to move into On My Radar, sharing recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi, fantasy, and romance. We're excited about books for today's episode that I'll be sharing are going to be released between July 26th and August 8th, 2022. I don't know if anybody else has anything. But first, if you enjoy the podcast, we would appreciate if you take a moment to rate and review us so we can continue to reach more listeners. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes, as well as fun, exclusive bonus content with every episode, consider supporting us on Patreon. Huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons, including our world-expanding patron, Sarah. You make this possible. We appreciate it. And um, there's like a lot of books coming out in July. So I have quite a few. Ben, I don't know if you have anything you want to share. You are welcome to, but you do not have to. I am terrible at new releases. That Me is okay. too. So is Leanna. I'm, I'm very busy rereading First Law. I don't have time for new releases. Right. Fair, fair. It's okay. I have a lot more than usual. Normally I have like four. I have like six this time. So it's fine. So June 26th, there are four books coming out that I want to highlight. The first one is Nobody's Princess by Erica Ridley. This one is a historical romance with two black leads, which is kind of cool. It's a fun kind of rompy slow burn romance between a guy who kind of runs a spy network and is obsessed with royalty who thinks he's going to save this princess, except that the woman turns out to be the aspiring royal guardswoman who has run away from her brothers who are guardsmen and from her position as a princess's sort of handmaiden to prove herself to abercrombie writing a story that follows those beats <laughs> but you know but make it first law right <laughs> anyway right. carry on <laughs> anyway um so it's fun it's like a fun rompy kind of story with a badass girl who like is into fighting and they do a lot of like parkour they don't call it that but that's essentially what it is in you know 1800s london so it's fun and then um one that i haven't read yet but the book of gothel by mary mcmine is coming out this is a historical backstory to the you know mother gothel the evil witch and the rapunzel story which i like a villain backstory so it sounds intriguing then for a sci-fi adventure middle grade book, which I don't talk about middle grade that often, but I've read this one and it was really fun, Team Chew and the Laser Tag Adventure by Julie C. Dow. It is about Vietnamese-American siblings who are kind of like rivals, and there's this new VR laser tag arena that opens in their town, but there's like a sci-fi twist. It's also loosely based on Hansel and Gretel. So it's got like a very kind of loose inspiration from that. And it was a lot of fun and it was great. And then the last one coming out June 26th, I'm currently reading A Half-Built Garden by Ruthanna Emrys. It's interesting because it's climate sci-fi mixed with a uh, first contact story. So like there's aliens, but also it's sort of like post-climate apocalypse and humans having to figure that out. 
people are comparing it to Ursula K. Le Guin, which is, is interesting. So we'll see how that goes. Then August 2nd, I've got two more romances. The first one is The Hookup Plan by Farrah Rochon. This one is an enemies to lovers contemporary romance between a pediatric surgeon and her high school arch nemesis when they meet up at a high school reunion, which I think should be fun. And then lastly, I just started this and so far it's fun. Ben and Beatrice by Catalina Gamara is a modern retelling of Much Ado About Nothing by Shakespeare. And uh, it's interesting because in this, Ben is this sort of like wealthy, privileged white guy from a conservative family. And Beatrice is a Afro-Latin queer woman. <laughs> and they both go to Harvard and uh, they hate each other, but their friends are like together. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, much to do about nothing retelling, but um, so far it's fun. As soon so. as you said Ben and Beatrice, I was like, much to do about nothing. Oh, <laughs> what uh, do I yes. think about this book? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Much to do about nothing. So if you're interested in any of those, all of the books will be linked in the show notes or the video description. And again, this I, has been, oh, yes. I realized I never said what the payoff is that's in Red Country that's not in Unforgiven, which is. Oh, right. Yes. Tell us. What is it? <laughs> um, so there is. So Shivers keeps popping up as this like boogeyman that like is like he has beef with Logan and you're like yeah. he wants to fight him and like he doesn't you know, he just like appears here and there. Someone says like, I think someone's looking for you. And there's a character in Unforgiven that's like that. Like as soon as I started watching that movie, I was like, you're the Shivers character because he like pops up, has like like is, this isn't an ongoing series so you don't actually know a backstory but he has some kind of previous beef with a Clint Eastwood character and yeah. he like is looking for him and wants to fight him and so when the story is like mostly wrapped up in Unforgiven and like you kind of feel like the credits are going to start to roll I was like oh but the credits can't roll yet because he hasn't met up with the Shivers character and then the credits rolled and I was like excuse me why would you bother setting up this like person that's like looking for him and they never met they never fought they never they never did anything with that and so like i'm sure Abercrombie was like well my in mind shivers is going to confront logan they won't fight and that'll be like you know because they didn't uh -huh. actually have the showdown but they will meet like like chekhov's beef will be um <laughs> resolved yeah that's so weird interesting yeah. okay okay i was so mad when i finished unforgiven i was like what <laughs> <laughs> okay good to know so there you go and uh again this has been chapter three podcast we're your hosts bethany and liana you can follow us on twitter instagram and tiktok at chapter three podcast and you can also find all of us on our individual youtube channels the next episode will be available in two weeks i will be back with izzy and we will be discussing mr malcolm's list a recent historical romance film that we are seeing and discussing and i loved it so i think there will be a lot to talk about it should be fun so join us in two weeks for that and this episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.